Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. What a powerful, powerful name it is, the name of Jesus, amen. You know, God's good. Come on, God is good. You know, I watched that game last night between Gonzaga and UCLA, and and they hit that shot, half-court shot, in overtime to win it. And the place went nuts. But we come into church to celebrate a risen Savior, and we get all justified and all conservative. I want to tell you something, folks. Listen to me. Muhammad's bones are still in the grave. Confucius' bones are still in the grave. Joseph Smith's bones, Buddha's bones, still in the grave. Jesus' tomb says, he's not here He's risen from the dead. This is no time to be conservative. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a risen Savior. Well, look, the person next to you said, I never thought I'd see you in church. (laughs) Hey, listen, for years before my family got saved, you know what we were? We were CEOs. And what I mean by that, we went to church on Christmas and Easter only. So we were CEOs of the church. It's great to have you here. I don't, you know, maybe you got drug here. Maybe you got, you know, invited here. What matters is that you're here. And we so appreciate you choosing to spend your Easter Sunday with us. And uh, I want to start off today by telling you a true story. I have two awesome kids, love my kids to pieces. And they're both grown and married now and off my payroll. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you parents know what I'm talking about when I say payroll. You know what I mean. But I remember about 25 years ago when Maddie and Dylan were really, really small. We were driving in the car. And I'll tell you how long ago this was. Kids didn't have to be in car seats. Dylan's about five, maybe six years of age. And uh, I noticed that he was standing up in the back seat. He'd taken his seatbelt off and stand up in the back seat. And so I said, Dylan, I need you to sit down. He just kept standing. I said, son, I told you to sit down. He just kind of looked at me. I'm watching me in the review mirror, and he's just kind of watching me. I said, okay. All right, big boy. I said, when we get home, I'm going to spank you. Now, some of you I know may say right here, well, I don't believe in spanking. I believe in timeout. That's the way it should be. Listen, every how you choose to do it, that's your business. My dad did the timeout thing, too, when I was growing up. When I messed up, he took time out of his day to spank my butt. <laughs> I know about timeouts. Trust me. Now, when I said, boy, you're getting a spanking, it was this, his legs just disappeared. He just immediately sits down. And I remember him saying, Dad, I I, I want to sit down. I said, I bet you do. But that didn't change the fact that he was fixing his spanking. See, the first two times that I told him to sit down, he thought I was serious. But that third time, he knew. He knew I was serious. There were no take backs. And here's my point this morning. There are those that think Jesus is Messiah. But because of the resurrection, we know as believers, he is the Messiah. 
And so it makes a difference in our behavior because we don't just think he's Lord. We know. Listen, we know he's Lord. Amen? I want to tell you about one of the disciples today in his life and how he goes from thinking Jesus is Messiah to actually knowing that he's the Messiah. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. It'll be on your screens for you this morning. I want to talk about Simon Peter a little bit. Man, it's going to be so awesome. I'm going to spend the next three and a half hours with you guys up here. <laughs> if I said that in a Baptist church, it'd be, five, five, it'd be 50 of you already left right now. <laughs> Verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, once you remember that, they fished all night and didn't catch anything. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Now, we know later that Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. And so Peter, Andrew, James, and John left their occupation and their lifestyle to follow Jesus. Now, this leads to my first point. I have three today. My first point that happened three years, it leads to Peter. It happens three years after following Jesus. Number one, write this down if you're taking notes, the declaration. Most of us in this room today have made a declaration to follow Jesus. Let me show you Peter's declaration in Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35. Jesus said to them, all of you. Everybody say all. all. You know what all means? All means all. All means all. All of you will be made to stumble because of me. This night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Now, I kind of feel like Jesus wanted to say right here, brother, which part of all of you do you not get? But he goes on to tell them how they'll stumble. Verse 34, Jesus said to him, I surely, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not die. I will not deny you. And he said, and so he said, all the disciples, all of us in this room can relate right here to Peter in some way or another in our life. To help us relate to Peter's story, I want to ask you a couple of questions. It's a two-part question, and I'd like you to raise your hand if you can relate. How many of you have ever told the Lord in some area or weakness in your life that you would never do it again, and you turn around and you do it again? Yeah. That's kind of like the death rate, 100% in here. <laughs> Amen? We all, we all have done that. We've all said that. We all can relate. You know, you say, well, if I'm a preacher. You know, you tell me you mess up. You bet I do. Hey, listen, I don't have any more of anointing to live this Christian life than you do. Every one of us can relate here. So we're not self-righteous people saying, oh, Lord, you know, oh, look, how, oh, you know, Peter, he denied Jesus. We've all denied him. We've all said, I'll never stumble in that area, only to do it again and again and again. Which leads me to point number two. Number two is the denial. The denial. Look at Matthew 26. Skip all the way down to verses 69 through 74. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. 
But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were, who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Number two. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Imagine how Peter must have felt. That gives me goosebumps in this jacket, and I'm hot up here. That still gives me goosebumps. He just told Jesus, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, bro, you're going to deny me three times. He said, no, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I won't do it. And what Jesus said, you're going to do it before the rooster crows. And while he's denying him, the third time that rooster crows, look at verse 60 in Luke 22 and 61. Luke 22, verse 60 and 61, Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I want you to look at that last sentence. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. All of us, all of this took place, folks, in a very small area. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but this was, this was all done in a courtyard about 30 yards by 30 yards. And so when Peter denied him and the rooster crowed, the Lord is just a few yards away. Watch this. When the rooster crowed, the Lord turns and looks at him. Can you imagine that look, how bad Peter has to feel? See, here's what people look over the fact of, even believers look over this fact right here. Jesus was being beaten during this passage of Scripture. Look at Mark chapter 17, verse 19. They clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, began to salute him or mock him, hell king of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. Verse 64 of Luke 22. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one that just struck you? Another scripture in Mark says they plucked the beard out of his face to the point you could see the jawbone in his cheeks. This wasn't a true, just a few drops of blood off a skinny little olive-colored man named Jesus. He was beaten so bad. His flesh torn so bad you could not recognize him as a human being on that cross. But when Jesus turned and looked at Peter... He looked at him with two black eyes, blood pouring out of his nose, busted lip, pitted face from his beard being plucked out, blood running down his face from the crown of thorns on his forehead. Imagine how Peter must have felt. And I'm not trying to put Peter down today. Listen, I'm relating to Peter today. Some of you may say, well, I would never deny Jesus with my words. Okay, well, have you ever denied him with your works? Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, verse 16 says, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified, and disqualified for every good work. 
We've all done it. We've all messed up. We've made the declaration, I'll never deny you. And then we mess up. And we make another declaration, I'll never do it again. Only to do it again. Listen, I accepted Christ when I was 12 years of age. And I didn't tell you what, I didn't come down and give some preacher my hand and not give Jesus my heart. I walked down and I made a commitment. And I had a, I, I mean, I became radical about my relationship with God. I took my Bible to junior high, took it to high school with me. I remember church camp at 14 years of age, I was called to the ministry. But let me fast forward to 19. 19 to about 22 years of age, I became the prodigal son and I just ran from God. About three years, I mean, I ran from God. And I hung out, hung out with a pretty rough crowd. And I was running from God every Friday and Saturday night. I was out doing my thing. On Sunday morning, sometimes with a hangover, I'm playing drums in church. Got my mom and dad fooled. Got most of the church people fooled. But guess who I didn't have fooled that mattered? God. And I played the game for three years. And I remember getting, and I was, this is a long story, so I'll cut it short. I remember getting in a barroom fight, and I had to get my lips sewed up. And I, the Lord, as I'm in that hospital room, they come in. The doctor said, "Let me, let me give you a knee, let me give you a shot to, you know, sew that back up." And he took a needle, you know, about this long, and put it, put it in my lip, and then he left. And when he left, the Lord revealed Himself to me. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm just talking about I knew God was in in the room, because watch this, watch this. Even though I had walked away. From God? God didn't walk away from me. Every time I leave that bar, man, the Holy Spirit just inside of me said, man, you don't need to go back there. This is not where you need to be. Some of you, you feel that Holy Spirit tug at your heart. Hey, you need to be in church. Hey, you need to be doing this. But what do you do? Same thing I did. I put it off. Not right now. I'll put God off later. I just do, I'll do it later. Let me tell you what hell's full of. Hell's full of people that said, I'll accept Jesus later. Not convenient for me right now. And the Lord revealed himself to me. And he's like, Craig, he said, you know, you've walked away from me. I didn't walk away from a relationship. Hear me, I'm still saved. I'm still born again. I walked away from my fellowship with God. See, that's it. Don't let the enemy put condemnation on you. You can be out of fellowship with God, but not out of relationship with God. And man, I closed my eyes, and he took me to those three crosses. On the middle cross, there was Jesus. I call the three crosses, the cross of repentance, the cross of uh, rebellion, and the cross of redemption. Because here's what I mean by that. The cross of repentance, let's say this is the cross right here. Three crosses, Jesus hung in the middle. One thief hung here. We don't know anything about him. We don't know his background. We don't know his history. We don't know if he's abused. We don't know if he's divorced. We don't know anything about this criminal. All we do know is that he looked at Jesus, and I'll paraphrase this. He said, remember me when you come into your paradise. And what did Jesus say to him? I'm sorry, you've done too many bad things. You're a criminal. You don't deserve heaven. Listen, none of us deserve heaven. Man, he looked at Jesus. I mean, Jesus looked at him. He said, surely you'll be with me on this day in paradise. I call this criminal right here, Jesus' last companion on earth, the first companion in heaven. Because he went to that, he went to that cross, a criminal, but he died a Christian because of the perspective that he had. I call this cross the cross 
of repentance. He repented. But on the other cross, this criminal that we don't know anything about looked at that criminal and said, what are you doing? This is not the Son of God. If he's the Son of God, he'd call down 10,000 angels and get us all out of this mess. Son of God, some king you are. And he looked at Jesus and he denied him. This is what I call the cross of rebellion. And a lot of people still carry this cross today. Some of you are carrying this cross in here in the church today. Not now. I'm not doing it now. I got one more party to hit. I've got one more bad business to do. I got one more thing to do. And you're carrying that cross of rebellion. But Jesus died on the middle cross called the cross of redemption, where he redeemed mankind back. He took the price. He paid the penalty for sin for you and I. And you can put, you can put down your cross of rebellion. You can pick up their cross of repentance all because of the cross of redemption. And that's what I did. I said, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. I ain't never going back. I'm not doing this again. And guess what? I haven't. I haven't. I made it right with God. And now I would witness to that same crowd for years to come. And some, you know what? Some of that crowd, they turned to God. But you know what? Some didn't. They'd tell me how they were changing. I'd see them, you know, in town. Man, you know, preach, hey, man, I'm not drinking as much. I'm not, I'm not smoking as much dope. I'm not cheating on my spouse as much as I used to. And I've explained to them, it's not about works. It's about relationship. Listen, you can't do good enough stuff to earn your way to heaven. You can't give enough money to get you to heaven. Dad, my dad down here had a good friend named Tommy Goodner. Great man, great man. On several grocery stores in Duncan, Oklahoma, he's since gone on. But I remember at a young age, Tommy, Dad witnessing to Tommy. Tommy said, Jerry, I give $100,000 a year to my church. I'm good enough. That's good enough to get me into heaven. You can't buy your way to heaven. You cannot do it. It's not about works. It's about relationship. And they all make all these declarations only to see themselves fail. Because a self-made declaration to better yourself without the power of the resurrection and a relationship with Jesus always leads to failure. You're, going, you're not going to make it. You're going to fail. We can all relate to Peter today. And in spite of Peter's denial and failure, you know what? He became one of the greatest voices in the New Testament. He's even called the pillar in the church. So what changed all that? It's my point, number three today. And it's called the decision. The decision. The decision happens after the resurrection. Not when he thinks Jesus is the Messiah or the first time Jesus said, follow me, but when he knows he's the Messiah. Because now... He's risen from the grave. But see, here's the thing. Peter's still a little bit discouraged. He's upset with himself because he denied him in the first place. But he makes a powerful statement. And, and it's what's going on in his heart. See, remember when, when Peter met Jesus, he had fished all night? Remember we read that? I said, remember this? How much did he catch? Nothing. And Jesus told him what? Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And, they, and he caught a boatload of fish, no pun intended. But he just catches a boatload of fish. Now look at John 21, verse 3 through 6. 
Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now, if you keep reading that same passage, John says to Peter, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, watch. They're only about 100 yards from the shoreline. Peter jumps in and swims to shore. Now, this is pretty cool because if you read the story, by the time Peter gets to shore, Jesus has already, already has the fish on the fire. Here's another way to look at that. Jesus has already provided. He's already provided. Here's a question. Why does Jesus do the same miracle over and over again? I was talking to Tyler. We were talking about this before church started. Why does this happen over and over? And the Bible seems like it repeats itself. Watch this. I believe Jesus was telling Peter and showing Peter it's okay to start over. You missed that one. It's okay to start over. I play golf with some buddies of mine. And every once in a while, now not, not much Mike and Bird back there, but sometimes I'll get some grace from some guys. They'll say, here, Hit a mulligan. Now, Bryson over here is a former PGA professional. He, he don't even know. Mulligans do not exist, do they? And when I play golf, I always, before I hit the ball, kind of fluff it up a little bit to get a good life. He'll play everything down. And I said, bro, I said, I said hey, I said, man, I've, I've got to fluff mine a little bit. He goes, hey, you do you. He said, but I'm going to play the way it's supposed to be played. But anyway... I have no idea why I was going at that point. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus was saying it's okay to mess up. It's okay to get a mulligan. It's okay to get a do-over. He's saying, I know, I know you messed up. I, I know what you did. I heard what you said. But listen, Peter, I died for your failures. This is it. And I rose again so you can start over when you make a mistake. So you can get a mulligan when you mess up. You hear that, guys? I get a mulligan next time. When I push it in the lake, I get a mulligan. Jesus gave mulligans. I love this. This is so awesome. But listen, Peter, he said, I died for your failures, and I rose again so you can start over when you make a mistake. When you mess up, you know what it's called? Repentance. You don't get resaved and resaved and resaved. You repent. You get saved once. That's all it takes. Then when you mess up, and you will, you repent. God, I'm sorry. I messed up. He said, Peter, I died for your failures. I rose again so you could start over when you mess up. And then he goes to this famous passage. I love this passage. Where he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Think about this. Do you love me? And a lot of people look at this, con this uh, context in a negative light 
because he denies him three times, and he asks him three times. But I don't see it as a negative. I see it as a positive. Because of the third time Peter said, Lord, you know what? All things. This is why I think Jesus asked him three times. I think Jesus is telling Peter, watch this, I know that you love me, I just want you to know that you love me. Because think about it, Peter's the one having the doubts. I wonder how many of us sitting here today are having those same doubts. Do you love me, Lord? You know what I did last night? You know what I did last week? You know what I said? Do you really love me? You're feeling bad maybe because you messed up. That's the power in the resurrection. The resurrection takes care of all that. Jesus makes a statement to Peter, and he used two words. He does the miracle of the fish in Luke 5, and he says this, what? Follow me. Two words, follow me. Peter leaves his nets, he follows Jesus, then Peter messes up and says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to fishing. Here's what I believe Peter was saying. I'm going back to the old life. I'm going back to what I knew before I started on this journey. I can't do this journey. I messed up. I'm not strong enough. I'm going back to what I knew. So Jesus shows up and does the exact same miracle and says to him, do you love me? And Peter replied, Lord, you know that I love you. And the Lord's like, yeah, I know. But do you know? Do you know, Peter, that you can mess up and I still love you? I'm here to tell you that, church. Do you know that you can mess up and God still loves you? There's no condemnation in Christ. We all mess up. Repent. Do, move on. Don't go back. Don't do it again. Repent. Move on. See, the enemy, Satan, wants to keep you in your mess. He wants you to wallow in your mess. He wants you to wallow in your failures. Because as long as you stay in your failures, you'll never go to your future. Woo. Somebody write that down. Somebody tweet that. As long as you stay in your failures, you'll never move to your future. He says, he makes a statement puts, and puts two words in here that I had never seen before in this context. In John chapter 21, verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when, you're, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands when another will gird you up and carry you where you do not wish. Then this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, word, spoken this, he said to them, these are the two words I'm talking about, follow me. Follow me. Mine's reading a little bit different than on the screen. But he says, follow me. He was telling Peter, I need you to make a recommitment to follow me. In John 21, he says to Peter, you're going to follow me all the way to the cross. Now catch this, watch this. Peter had heard that many times before, and we've read it in the Gospels many times. Like Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow me. So he's always told him, If you're going to follow me, it's going to be all the way to the cross. 
Are you with me? So what's the difference? The difference is Peter knew the cross meant death, but he didn't know until this moment that it meant life after death. That's the key. So Peter starts following Jesus in Luke 5, but in John 21, he recommits to follow him again and becomes a great leader in the church. So what's the difference? I'm so glad you asked. Back in Matthew 26, after he says, I'll never deny you, and the right before he denies him, they come and take Jesus away. And this verse, there's this verse again that I've never seen in the context in Matthew 26, 58. It says this, but Peter followed him at a distance. Stop right there. But Peter followed him at a distance. But Peter followed him at a distance. Two questions you have to ask yourself. Are you following Jesus, number one? You may say, well, yeah, I'm following Jesus. Here's the second question. Are you following him at a distance? How close? How close are you following him? I'll throw an amen here and there in church. I'll throw a 20 in the offering plate every now and then. How close, how committed are you to him? I'll say a prayer over my food, but I may skip saying a prayer before I go to bed or not. How close are you following him? Are you following him all the way to the cross, or are you following him at a distance? Jesus shows up here in John 21, and he says, okay, Peter, you want to follow me? Let me show you where it's going to end for you. You're going to follow me all the way to the cross. And we know by history, Peter was crucified upside down. Because, here's why, when they told him they were going to crucify him, he said, crucify me upside down. Because I'm not worthy to die in the same manner my Lord, my Lord died. Here's a man whose life had totally changed. He goes from denying Jesus to preaching Jesus to the world. You can see it from John 21. Watch this, all the way through Acts. In Acts chapter 2, when they said these men are drunk, Peter stepped up and said, these men aren't drunk like you think. It was Peter who said in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. In Acts 3, Peter says to the lame man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. In Acts chapter 4, when they had beaten him and told him not to preach, it was Peter who said, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must and couches that at least for five, it's Peter who talks about bringing the sick out of the streets and laying them on the beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of those people. What made the difference? It was the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. It's not something we celebrate once a year. Every day, 24-7. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. That's what made the difference. Not only was it, man, I'm going to preach a little bit. Not only was it enough for him to die on the cross, but he goes down to hell, strips Satan of all authority, takes back death, hell, and the grave, takes back the keys of all authority, and he says, this is mine. So the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside you. So you got authority over that enemy. You don't have to take his junk clean that up right there. You don't have to take his junk. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. 
When Jesus said, follow me to the cross, Peter said, I'll follow you to the cross because I know now that you live after the cross. The cross isn't the end. Listen, we've all messed up. Like I said, I made that commitment at 12 to follow him. And I followed him at a distance at 19. But you know what? When I got that emergency room and God revealed himself to me, I didn't think he was Lord. I knew. I knew he was Lord. And I didn't think he had the power to change my life. I knew he had the power to change my life. We serve a knowing God, and he's here to make himself real to you today. He's here to take you from thinking he's Messiah to knowing without a shadow of a doubt. But I got to be honest with you, and I know this is going to shock many, many people in this room. Since I've been born again, I messed up a few times. I made one or two mistakes. And there's been times in my Christian walk I've denied him with my works. I've had to go back and say, Lord, you know all things, and even though I just did this really big piece of stupid, I really do love you. You know what he said to me? Then follow me. Follow me. You're forgiven. Now follow me. I've made that commitment. And that's what I'm asking you to think about doing today. I'm asking every one of you this Easter, Sunday, to make a commitment. Commit your life to God. Don't just think or know. Man, no. See, I've always told people this. It's about 18 inches that separates you from God. It's not a head knowledge that saves you. It's, it's a relationship with Christ. That 18 inches that separates you from the Almighty God. Because I promise you, the enemy will talk you out of what God wants to do in your life. And think about it. When Christ comes into your life, everything is made brand spanking new. Old things are passed away. Everything's made new. Talks about 2 Corinthians. Everything's made new. Everything, man. Your relationships, your life. You get a brand new start. But you have to make a commitment to him. Some of you made that commitment, but you're at a, kind of like I was at 19, you're following him at a distance. It's time to recommit. It's time to quit following at a distance. I didn't come with a long word this morning, but I did come with a strong one. And I hope it's touched your 